<laughs> it's always, it happens. You, you ever, I have this PowerPoint, and it's going to work behind me, and I, I'm, I pray that I get my act together enough to stay up with my notes with what's behind me, uh, and um, I'll have to turn around and look occasionally. And so I apologize for that beforehand, that I have to turn my back on you. Uh, <laughs> it is not a rude gesture. Um, but, the, you know, <clears throat> I just want to be great. I am just grateful for Jesus this morning. You know, I, I'm just grateful for his presence. I'm grateful for your, your testimony, Glenn. I'm grateful for your heart, Scott, of, of knowing that God's going to plant you somewhere in the world. And if you don't know me, if you, we've never had the pleasure, pleasure of meeting and you're new with us today, my name is Daryl. Uh, I'm the senior leader of this church. Uh, and I work, we, we have a great team here, and I'm really excited about that team. Um, so, this morning I want to talk about, I'll kind of talk about that, that, that idea of heroes. And, um, and I'm going to share with you my hero. My hero that walk, walked on the earth, that also loves Jesus, hopefully the way I love Jesus, and I think he probably did better than I did. But before we do that, uh, we want to go ahead and take our offering, and um, I want to thank everybody. Uh, I want to thank you for your sacrifice. I want to thank you. We brought in $900 last week for Mexico mission, and you know, yeah, isn't that cool? That's awesome. I mean, that's great, and we're so grateful for that. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about, you know, giving is sacrificial. It is a sacrificial. It is a hard thing to do, right? And um, Jesus said this in Luke 12, uh, 21, too. He says, while Jesus was at the temple, he watched the rich, the, the, the rich people dropping their gift into the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. And this was Jesus' response. He said, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, the poor widow has given more than the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But this poor woman, as she is, has given everything she has. I just want to say to you, I know that giving is a sacrifice and how much we appreciate you for your sacrifice. And uh, I know that, you know, you, you, look, you see that money and you, you have to make adjustments in your life. I cannot tell you how much we appreciate you making a sacrifice to help us do what we do and what we do together. That's really, I mean, many, many of us are in this widow might type of thing. We live that way. I get it. I get it. So I'm just saying, I can't say it enough. Thank you. As I was growing up in school and, and just in society, I was, I was just very competitive. I made everything I did a competition. Everything. I, even to this day, I make things a competition. I'd be bored. We'd be, I'd be in school. And, uh, you know, my friends were the same way. Everything we did was a competition. 
Even living an outrageous lifestyle, we competed in it. Everything was a competition. You know, and, 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 I, and I love, I love, I really did love to compete. And like I said, I, I, I don't want to go into the dark side of my world to talk about how we made everything into competition. And I did grow up doing some athletics. But I was never like the top of the class. I, you know, I was the guy that just worked hard at things that I liked to do. You know, and, um, you know, I, 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 some things came easier than others. And, but I lived in this competitive world. Um, even when I, even when we, I was living in uh, Oregon and I was planting trees for Weyerhaeuser up in uh, Cascades, and uh, and planting trees, you'd wear this bag and and you'd, you know, we had what we it was called a hodad, and it was a flat blade shovel that you would dig into the side of the mountain and you'd pull it back and then you'd you'd put the tree in it. Well, we would compete to see who could do as many as they could in the day, just to make the day interesting. And most of it was who would, plant, who would, on our team, be the first person to plant a thousand trees? A thousand trees. And I knew people that did it. <clears throat> I don't want to brag, so I'm going to move on. <laughs> you know, some of you know that... Well, I don't want to even... Anyways, so... Um, I love the Olympics. I mean, I really do love the Olympics. I am glued to the TV, and there's not a whole lot that goes on in the Olympics that I won't watch. Possibly curling, but I love the highlights. And matter of fact, Lisa said, you know, Daryl, you could actually do that as an old guy. Because she knows I'm competitive. <laughs> and I went, uh, I don't know. Anyways, but I love it. And, and I have, winter or summer, I have to admit a little bit that I, I appreciate the summer a little bit more. I, I, uh, uh, but I, I just really do love the commit. I love the fact that, that when you, you, know, you get the back stories of people's lives, like every year, maybe you might like this, every year, um, I think it's NBC, puts, uh, does you know, the Iron Man and Kona. You know, that outrageous 133-mile trek that these people do. You know why I watch that? It's not the person that does it in eight hours. I love to hear about the backstories of the people that do it, that are handicapped, the people that, you know, the victory stories, the overcoming stories. I watch it for that. I mean, I just love those overcoming stories. And just seeing how people move from one place and then, they, and then they're, they're there doing this. And I just love hearing those kinds of stories. And, you know, when we get getting kind of moving back into the Olympics, how these people, they, this is their life. Working for that four, uh, four years, for, and probably their whole life to get to have that event. And some of those events will take place like that and it'll be over with. But they fashion their whole life. This is the number one thing in their life. The number one thing. This is what they eat, drink, live for, right? Live for. And I think the question behooves us, what is number one in our lives? What do we live for? 
What is it that, that moves us and, and, you know, gets our juices going? I mean, outside of a paycheck. Let's take it one step beyond that, okay? Just let's move them outside of that. Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom of God. I got to get the right page. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. And all these, this is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first. What's first in our life? What's first in your life? Good question, right? I just want you to kind of think about that. What's first in my life? Is it family, career, status, financial security, travel? What's at the top of your list? What is the thing that's bingo right up there? There's one person I want to focus on today. This man's story has been an inspiration to me personally and to upon probably millions others over a period of time. Not only an inspiration, but a role model. A true disciple, an authentic follower of Christ. One that I would say, gosh, Lord, if I could just be half the leader this man was, half the missional person that this man was, I would say, I think I'm, being, I'm moving the right direction. This man is Eric Little. Eric Little. Otherwise known as the Flying Scotchman. He, particip- he, was, he participated in the 1924 Olympics. But he's got quite the story. Some of you might remember the movie Chariots of Fire in 1981. It was about him and one other person. Harold Abrahams was the other person. Now, I could do a whole sermon comparing those two men. One doing what they do for status and prestige, and the other one doing it just out of the love of God. But I don't want, we're not going to talk about it. You can watch the movie and figure it out yourself. Just allow me to give you a quick overview of Eric Little's life. He was born January 16, 1902 in China. He was the second son of the Reverend James Dunlap Little. He was born to, to missionary parents in China. And back in those days, when your children or male children got to a certain age, you sent them back to Great Britain to boarding school. And they did that. They sent, um, Harold, uh, um, they sent Eric and his brother back to England for boarding school. And during that season in boarding school, he played rugby, he was very athletic, and the coaches realized that this guy was fast. You know, and he's not a big guy. He wasn't a big guy. He wasn't, you know, burly. So rugby, you kind of question, he probably had to be fast just to keep his Stay alive. 
So he started competing in what they called AAA uh, clubs, and they recognized that he was actually a sprinter, a 100-meter, 200-meter sprinter. And um, so over just kind of fast-forwarding, moving towards the 1924 Olympics, he made the team. Now, I know the movie will let, you, will let you believe that he didn't find out that his event, the 100 meter, wasn't being done until Sunday as he was uh, uh, getting on the boat. But the truth was, they all knew that months before. What he's really known for, one of the things that he's very, very much known for, is he would not run on Sunday. He, re- he was a Presbyterian. He would not run on Sunday, and he wouldn't run on Sunday because they, they guard the Sunday as their Sabbath day, and he refused to run. And because uh, the Britain team needed somebody, they moved him from the 100 and 200 to the 400 meter. 400 meter is one full lap around the track. My daughter ran the 400 meter, my youngest daughter. And... Um, that is just not easy. It's not easy. Running 100 meters, Jesus needs to be fast. But when you come to run 400 or the 800, you need to have something up here. It is a, it is a one disciplined run. And I've done it, so I know a little bit about it. And I'm not fast. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm like a, a slug. I'm just not fast. But there are some statements about Eric that has followed him over the years. And so there he was running the 400 meter, which was during the week, which he agreed to. And he had run it a few times, but he was not seen as a threat at all in the competition. Mostly uh, coming to the 100, the 2, and the 4 during the Olympics, the Americans pretty much had it sewed up. The Americans were the ones who were going to get the victory march. They didn't even see Eric as a, as, as, a, uh, as a threat. So I've pulled a clip. I'm going to let you, you can see it. And the movie did exactly the way it was run. The movie portrayed it very well. And I'm going to let you, we'll see this clip. That clip. I believe, I can't tell you how many times I saw that clip. This is what hooks me with this guy. I believe God has made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And there's been plenty of fast people in the world. Plenty. Great athletes. But when I run, I feel his presence. When I run, he also said in another place, when I run, I feel his pleasure. I feel his pleasure. And I'm sitting there going, when do I feel God's pleasure? Now, I feel his presence often. Often, I feel his presence. But he, that place of feeling the pleasure of God. Now, this run made him famous. 
He ran this in uh, 47.6 seconds and set a world record that stood for 12 years. That a man that wasn't even supposed wasn't even supposed to finish. He also said this, Circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plan, but God is not helpless among the ruins. God's love is still working. He comes in and takes the calamity and uses it victoriously, working out His wonderful plan of love. He just saw that as God's wonderful plan. The money was on him for the hundred. The person that won the hundred was his teammate, Harold Abrahams. And the question is, if who would win between the two? And I'll tell you, Eric would have. Because they did race one time, and Eric beat Abraham by four yards. But that is not why I love this guy so much. It's what he did in China when he went back. He, could, he had a lot of uh, those around him. He could have stayed and continued, and, and they had great hopes for him for the uh, 1928 Olympics and so on. Uh, but he knew that God made him for a purpose. He knew that. He knew that God made him for a purpose. I have one more clip, and this is his purpose. You came to see a race today. Jesus said, Behold, 
the kingdom of God is within you. If with all your hearts you truly seek me, you shall ever surely find me. If you commit yourself to the love of Christ, then that is how you run a straight race. Eric returned to China. He finished school, got his degree, went back to China, and also taught at a, uh, a school there, also did missional work across the land of China. And I have to say, what a Eric was able to do is because of Hudson Taylor in the, in the mid-1918s, where Hudson Taylor and his uh, missionaries, who was another Brit, um, went in there and really paved the way. And so all of these missionary societies, and by this time, missionary societies were, had a greater, uh, supported their missionaries a lot, uh, a lot better than did with Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a pioneer. But so he went in there he went, and, 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 and gave his life to missional work, to fulfill that purpose that God put in his life. And what took place during that time is World War II came. And he was put into a Chinese attainment camp with the rest of his co-workers, where he basically lived out the rest of his years. He died in 1945 because of a brain tumor. He uh, was able, he had married while he was over there, had two children, were able to get them back to Canada. And his third child, who was born in Canada, never knew her dad. And you might say, well, Daryl, why, you know, okay, with the Olympics and all that, why does this guy, why does a guy hook you the way he does? And I, and I read, I've read his biography, I've read several books on him. The latest one I've read really focused more on what he did in China, his work in, in China. Well, for one, he's a kingdom guy. He's sold out for the kingdom. Two, he put God first in his life and everything he did where he would not compromise. He was really known as the guy that wouldn't run on Sunday. And I think about it. I think about that today. If I was as fast as him, and I had a heat running on, on Sunday, I could just hear the brothers and sisters come up to me and say, isn't Jesus Lord of the Sabbath? Isn't every day a Sabbath? Don't you worship him 24-7, brother? I'm just imagine that he had his own colleagues saying the same thing. He says, I'm not running. I refuse to run. It's not going to happen. So they made the shift. They shifted him around. And, and God honored him, which was, you know, First Samuel. God honored him. God honored his convictions, his personal convictions. It wasn't that the church saying to him, you can't do that. I think the church was saying, yeah, we can figure this out, brother. You got to make us Presbyterian Scots look good. Right? I think we'll, we'll create a, a special dispensation just for you. And he's going, I'm not running. I will not run. Put God first. The other is, is he, he was a man of character. He lived out what he believed. 
They were not just words. It wasn't, yeah, I'm a born-again Christian. He lived out what he believed. And then the other for me, and this hooks me really, is he was a servant leader. He was a servant leader. You might say, well, what is that? He was a leader that never told anybody to do anything that he wasn't doing himself or hadn't done himself or wouldn't do it with somebody. He was a servant leader. He was a role model to leadership. And personally, he didn't care who got the glory. He didn't care. He knew his purpose. He knew his Savior. And then lastly, language we've used around here, he was otherly. He was outward focused. He made decisions for the good of others, even to his own hurt. He made the decisions to others, even to his own hurt. And for me, that, that just... I, uh, well, for me, it was challenging. It's challenging for me to read his life story. And when I read the life story like that, I, I just say to myself, I said, Lord, you know, you haven't called me to do this or this or this. I just want to do what you've called me to do that well. Whatever that is, right? Whatever you called me to do, I want to do it that well. I want to know my purpose. I want to live my purpose. And I want to do it with kingdom first, God first. I want to do it with character. I want to do it with authenticity. I want to do it with uh, servant leadership. And I want to do it that affects other people in a very godly way. In other words, I don't want to say one thing and live another. I want to, I want to follow the red. I want to follow the Bible. And he did it this way. And Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? My question is to all of it. Is there any encouragement to all of it? To belonging to Christ? Or are we just people that we come in here on a Sunday morning or whatever we do, and we come in here, is there, what is the encouragement? And I think it says a little bit of what Glenn said today in the songs that we sang this morning, that Jesus still saves. The encouragement is Jesus still changes lives. Jesus is still setting captivity free. Jesus is still moving on the face of the earth. And this isn't just, you know, if we come in here just to make ourselves feel good, Thank you, by the way. Any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in his spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy. And this is Paul. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Working together with one mind and one purpose. To me, that spells community. One mind and one purpose. Folks, most of us, our lives are so complex. Most of us have very little margins in our life. To do anything good, we have to figure out what we got to give up to get there. Right? 
Every, I mean, we just pile and pile and pile. I think you just need to figure out what is God, what is God first asking of you? And everything's got to come underneath that. Has to come underneath that. And I really realize that life has a way of creeping in and challenging that up there. And it isn't a matter of just doing good works for Jesus. It's a matter of going to that place and understanding that you're doing what you were created to do. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You can take this one to the bank. That's where you're going to find real life. That's where you're going to find happiness. When you find out what it is you were created. Now look, I am so challenged by that. When he said something, this is probably why I've got hooked here. I feel his presence. I feel, I, no, I feel his pleasure. I feel his pleasure. Now, I feel his ple- presence often. Often. But I'm not sure about this pleasure stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm going to the drawing board. I'm going, okay. I got it. He got it. I want it. I'm going after it. I want it. You want it? I want it. I want to be able to stand up here and say, I feel his pleasure. I mean, I felt his presence this morning. I feel his presence often, especially when we come together, two or three are gathered. I'm in the midst. I feel it often. That pleasure one. Whew. I am Holy jealous for his presence, pleasure. Holy jealous for his pleasure. And then Paul goes on, you know, as I'm trying, I'm, I'm pursuing the pleasure. I'm not trying to pursue pleasure because I'm a needy guy and, you know, I need to feel loved by Jesus and I'm, all a, I'm a pure mess. I'm a pure mess without being a mess. I just know it's something that Jesus offers me in my relationship with him. And I know, I know, it's not about works. I know. It's the free gift of God. Don't. Be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinkers. Other, um, be humble. Thinking of others as better as yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. As the worship team, please come forward. So you can't have the first. You can't really do that well if you're inward focused. Did you just hear me? You can't do the one well if all I'm thinking about is me, 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 me. It just doesn't work. That's what Paul's talking about. I love to run. I'm not good at it. 
when I uh, mostly, uh, I did run cross country in high school. But when I lived in Oregon for many years, I ran all the time. It was that place where I, I, I just felt free. It was just me and God. And that never left me. And I would be able to run up BLM roads and into the, and just all kinds of beautiful places and see, see things. But I really do love to run. And uh, well, I don't know if I'd call it running. It'd be more like a fast walk. <laughs> but I really do love it. And a matter of fact, for those of you, some of you might not know this, our name today is Oasis from a time that I took a run. And while I was running, the Lord spoke to me and said, Daryl, why don't you call yourselves what I call you? I went, well, what do you call us? You know, going up here. Because normally when you're running, you're trying to get your rhythm of breathing and all that stuff. And, and so I, he says, I call you Oasis. I went, really? He goes, yeah, that's what I call you. And that took us on a journey. It took about a year took us on a journey discovering why we were called Oasis. And being called Oasis meant for us that, you know, we were just lining ourselves up with God. Well, because of that, that's one reason. I don't actually call them runs. I, it's my prayer t- part of my prayer time. It's not I pray. It's a time when I'm running, I try to listen. And I've got everything else involved in something else so I can listen. I can't be distracted, so I can listen. And that's just what works for me. And well, here's the, the upside of this. This is very important. I've got to tell you this. The upside of the fact that exercise, what I've learned over the years, and it took me a little bit of time to figure this out, and this is going to be a little challenging for some of you, uh, maybe all of us, it's still challenging for me. What I've learned about physical discipline is it's really helped me in my spiritual discipline. What I've learned is if I can tell this body what it's going to do, it's easier for me to exist in the spiritual, to create spiritual disciplines. I know some of you have hard times creating a personal devotional time with the Lord, the discipline of creating it. I understand that. And a lot, of that, a lot of that is, you know, scheduling of your time. But some of it is just discipline in your body where you just don't be doing this. <laughs> Go on. I mean, I'm dead serious. I'm not trying to pick on it. Walking is a huge great thing to do. Walking. All kinds of things you can do. I'm not, I'm not telling you you need to do it my way. I'm just trying to tell you that most of us, our body tells us what we get. And we are a slave to our bodies. Hello? And I, I've just figured out over the years, physical discipline has helped me grow spiritually. Now, was I growing spiritually without that? I was. But I'm telling you, it took me to a whole new level to put my flesh, well, we'll do it, put my flesh into subjection. To put it in religious terms. Let's sing a couple songs.
It's brighter than the sun. Amen. So let's remain standing just for a second. So I just want to be clear about this. It is the Lord's good pleasure to reveal to you his pleasure towards you. It's not, the block is not on his end. He wants you to know how pleased he is with you. He wants to reveal his heart, and open our, ourselves up. The scriptures are clear about that. So my prayer is for us this morning is that we all come into this place, not only engage in that presence of the Lord, and much of that comes out of just understanding his word, but, but we also just place ourselves in that place where we sit there and go, God, where would I be without you? Where can I go? For you have the words of life. Who else is there worth serving? It is God's good pleasure to reveal his pleasure to you. That's his person. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we're so grateful for the saints that have gone before us. There's so many of them, Lord. So many that we could read about to be inspired and encouraged. But mostly, Lord, today, Father, the encouragement of what you've done for us. And Lord, we want to ask your help. We ask for your help. Where we don't just say that you're first. Now we don't just let it be words. But Father, help us to live the reality of you being uno number one. Help us to that reality. And what does that look like? And how do we live because of that? Help us adjust our lives to please you and you alone. Because everything comes after that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a resource. If you want to read about uh, men and women of faith, you can go to Bethany House Publishers, and they've done a whole series of short books on people like Eric Little and Hudson Taylor and John Goforth and so on, and even uh, C.S. Lewis and Spurgeon. And they're all, they're all, most of them are about 100 pages. A great, great thing to, for you that have young children to read as a family together. And they're inspirational lives dedicated men and women to God. And there's others. Now this one I told you about for his glory is several hundred pages. But, um, but I encourage you to read things that inspire you to overcome to inspire you to overcome. And I went reading this, and he, he's always been kind of a fan of mine, Eric Little, but something recently happened where I just said, Lord, if there's any possible way that I can be like this guy, I want to be like this guy. Of course, the Lord says, well, you can't be like him unless you be like me. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the way it works. But anyways, so those are, and there's some others. There's another series called uh, uh, 
Heroes of the Faith, something like that, too. That's another publishing house. But I encourage you to do that. That's one way to kind of start turning that. If you're with us this morning and you, you just sense, man, I really need to figure out how to move forward and, and keeping God first in my life. We have those that would love to pray for you today. If you're dealing with a physical issue, an emotional issue, any kind of challenges whatsoever, we are a people that believe that God touches lives now. Right now. And sometimes that's a journey. I get it. But right now. So if you, if you need those things, if you need prayer, please come forward. And I'll tell you what. Come forward and see what God might not do for you. That doesn't mean you have to come forward to get it. But it's a good start, right? Huh? God bless you. Have a great day. God bless you.